at London Goss has told him the editor there is looking for a talented young unknown to write a weekly social diary and is willing to pay handsomely for the privilege. Since Teddington is neither talented nor young, save him from the unnecessary humiliation and rejection that is sure to follow and apply for the job myself. Tear the first day's page out of this diary and send it to the London Goss editor along with a photo of me sunbathing in a fetching one-piece bikini in Saint-Tropez last summer. Satisfied with my day's toil thus far, tackle my boss about the whereabouts of my new art director, because there's no way I'm going to carry the agency workload by myself. Collar him as he's sneaking back to his office from the men's room, no doubt having slipped a few sly snifters of the chivers regal he keeps stashed in the paper towel dispenser. He proceeds to make up some pathetic excuse about how no one will work with me as I have garnered a reputation as a prima donna. In a fit of pique, trash is in tray, kick the legs on his Queen Anne desk, all the while screaming that considering being a highly strung, extremely precious, megalomaniacal, manic-depressive drama queen is a prerequisite to being an advertising copywriter. I can't see how I stand out in particular. Satisfied I've made my point clear, stump back to my own office and put a call through to the only headhunter in town who's not in a meeting and insist she find me another job. Business expenses? None. All job hunting activities made during company time and at the company's expense. Wednesday, July the 3rd. Get into work three hours late in protest of my boss's unreasonable behaviour yesterday and immediately ring Headhunter to find out why I haven't been swamped with job offers. She starts apologising feebly and says she is having to put out feelers overseas because she can't place me anywhere here as my reputation has preceded me. My indignation and disgust know no limits after hearing this travesty of justice. I'd presumed most London ad agencies would be honoured to have me on board. Too upset to do any work, so head to Bar Italia for the afternoon. Spot token platonic male friend Ferguson, sitting on his lonesome nursing his nose. As one of the few men in London who doesn't need a dribble bowl in my presence, it goes without saying that Ferguson is a rampant homosexual. So much so he's now employed by a high-class escort agency that caters for men of all predilections. But, as I remind him over several vats of Beaujolais, he makes for a completely useless gigolo. Falling in love with the clients and having to bribe them with money so they'll keep on seeing him is bad enough. Frittering away what profits he does make on vain attempts to look as good as me is begging for public derision en masse. Business expenses, none. Ferguson paid for drinks, after I very falsely complimented him on his disastrous new nose job, which he's just had done to help him get over Dwight, his latest ex-client. Thursday, July the 4th. My mother, who lives in Barnsley, has sent a tub of life-enhancing, vile-tasting powdered seaweed to my office by first-class mail, claiming she is worried about my health. She doesn't understand that being a physical wreck is part of the perks of careerdom. Nor does she seem to care 
that I'm having a hard enough time trying to quell last night's Beaujolais without her adding to my problems. Put the unsolicited jar of plankton into the Oxfam collection box I find stashed under Suzette's desk. Then take it out again, because really, the hungry and homeless shouldn't have to suffer any more than absolutely necessary. Decide instead to put it back where it originally came from, and surreptitiously pour it into the Art Deco fish tank that sits in our agency foyer wasting valuable space, along with the gatekeeper, who mans the switchboard at front desk and listens in on all my calls. Then take an extra early lunch break with Eliza, the hopeless hippie who works in accounts, whom I am only friends with because I feel sorry for her. No female, no matter how shockingly plain, deserves to suffer the ignominy of not having had a boyfriend for three years, purely because every male in town knows about the curse of Namambo hanging over her homely head. A true story Eliza told me three years ago about how when she went to the West Indies to study voodoo cults, a rattled old crone took offence at being stereotyped by ignorant British tourists and pointed a bone at her, declaring that, from there on out, any man brave enough to try and befriend Eliza would meet a grisly end. Eliza takes me to some godforsaken Soho cesspit that prides itself on its distressed furniture and thoroughly unphotogenic hired help. Without a single trace of irony, Eliza says it makes her feel at home. The place must have something going for it, though, as all the style vultures are there, fishing cigarette butts out of their long macchiatos. While I dust the table down with a pre-used napkin, Eliza prattles on about how she's been reading The Celestine Prophecy during office hours, and is now training to be a guide. Privately, I worry all the bad karma and horrific hexes surrounding her may project onto her customers' auras. She guilelessly offers to practice on me, but I willfully beg off by saying I'm an atheist. Arrive back at agency in late afternoon and spy the gatekeeper scooping the boss's prized Japanese koi out of the fish tank because they've all started to float belly up in the water. Business expenses? None. Eliza paid for brunch, lunch, and afternoon tea, because she is grateful I'll be seen with her in public. Friday, July the 5th. Taking advantage of the fact the gatekeeper has been ordered by my boss to reluctantly use her trade-unionized office clerk 60-minute lunch break to transfer water samples from the fish tank to a local chemist to find out what killed his koi, Intercept incoming mail and open all correspondence addressed to Suzette, since she is no longer here to do it herself. One letter's from Sabilo, her World Vision sponsor child. Reading between the lines, because I can't actually decipher the words above and below, I learn that Sabilo is eight years old, lives in a hut in one of South Africa's less salubrious suburbs, and lists eating as his favourite hobby. After a lengthy chat with my incarcerated accountant, impulsively decide to become Sabilo's foster parent, pen an immeasurably more well-versed letter back to my latest acquisition, advising him of the sudden change in payment plans. Also take care to detail my brilliant career, fabulous social life, and excellent money prospects, and request that Sabilo write back to me post-haste so I've got proof of purchase. 
Since my accountant waived his usual pro rata prison rates this time, so touched was he to hear about my first tentative step into philanthropy, feel slightly more benevolent than usual, and enclose a little gift which I found lying around in the stationery cupboard. Business expenses. Charitable donation to starving child, zero pounds, as Suzette's already paid through until November. Charitable gift, Oxford Dictionary, zero pounds. Saturday, July the 6th. Don't have to go to work today, so get up early. Virtuously visit King's Road to buy a home office heater, because it's tax-deductible, and I'm freezing in London's typically brisk summer weather. Of course, since I have to pass entire racks of clothes to get to Dixon's, it's not my fault when I arrive home with things that refuse to resemble heating appliances, even if I could be bothered to solder plugs onto them and set them alight. Spend afternoon cursing my fickleness, wrapped in blanket and eating Ritz biscuits straight from the box, because my kitchen is too cold to stand still in one spot long enough to find a clean plate. Later, make Herculean leap from bed to bath to brand new Joseph suit, as I'm meeting with Phoebe at the Met Bar, as her boyfriend has to spend Saturday nights with his wife. Like most women, dans certain âge, old Phoebe thinks dating a married man and then banging on about the loneliness of it all to her hapless friends is better than not having a date at all. So, whilst she weeps softly every time she spots a happy couple canoodling in the corner, I have to amuse myself by watching the antics of a bottled blonde surfy type, who I'm sure used to be in Home and Away, but is now getting pissed with all his other out-of-work friends. To my absolute horror,